It's been difficult for me this week to climb out of the theory when we look at such important ideas of God's love and what that means. Sometimes I would encourage you to come on up and look at the, what we're going to cover in the weeks as we move towards Easter in this great Lenten season. So forgive me if I'm a little more theoretical this morning and Alicia's coming next and she's got her feet so well on the ground and she does such a good job being practical. So Alicia, you've got to pick me up next week, okay? You've got to give me the thumbs up, okay? I want us to really focus in on two things as we go through this. I've been going over and over in my mind. The importance of when we come to Christ that we, it's all about the perspective we hold and the lifestyle we live. The perspective we hold and the lifestyle we live after we come to experience Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us. We need to think clearly. Given us this unbelievable ability and made in your image to, to think. And Father, in this world that we live in, in the swirling of all that involves our lives, our daily experiences, Father, we need to think clearly. Help us, Father, for we think clearly and we understand who we are. We live right. Help us, Father. Amen. It's hard to look at the book of Romans without looking at the book of Genesis. They seem to, are very corollary. What you see in Genesis finds its application in the book of, of Romans. So when we talk about being made in the image of God in creation, it's of utmost importance. Because that gives us our worth and our values. It gives us our personhood, our ability to respond to God. It's so critically important that we realize that we are the crown of creation. As a result of the fall, we realize that there's, there's brokenness in our lives. And that re requires to become whole that we are recreated in the image of Christ, our Savior. And there is our worth flows from knowing Christ. But we realize the effects of the fall were far-reaching. You realize in the garden that we were given freedom, relational freedom and freedom of moral choices. And boy, that's the great blessing and cursing in the world that we live in, the freedom of moral choice. But you realize our first parents lacked faith and trust and they led to disobedience and there was a dramatic change in the human landscape. We have the influence of Satan as he enters the garden, as he enters into the life of humanity. And folks, we've got to realize that Paul says, for we do not struggle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces in the world. And we've we got to understand that we have a culture and a society these days that have no understanding and no conception that there is such a thing as a struggle in this world of spiritual forces. But we, as a people of faith, better not be caught off guard, dismissing the reality of these forces in the world. We also recognize that there were relational breaches and the system and the whole environment changed as a result of the fall. And human beings find themselves what we call depraved or I don't like the terminology of completely crooked but in one sense that's true. But we are people who in all parts of our being have walked away from God. Still dignity made in his image but fallen people. And Romans lays the ax on any belief that by human goodness we can somehow earn our favor with God. Jeremiah 19 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? It becomes a need of an inner transformation of our persons in relationship to God. That is why conversion in Christ is so essential. It's all about spiritual heart surgery, folks. 
We have a world that seems to say all we have to do is rearrange the landscape of the behavior of people and we can solve things. But spiritual heart surgery that comes by virtue of Christ. Sometimes I like to bring in thinkers of the past. Rousseau was an enlightened thinker and his thinking was nature has created persons as good and happy and it's just society that deprives them and makes us miserable. Human beings are made good. Human beings are made good and happy. And all it is is society that deprives us of that. For many of the enlightened thinkers and educators, if we just create healthy environments, people will just rekindle the goodness and happiness that's bestowed on nature. Creating healthy environments is important in society, but it does not get to the root cause why people act so destructively. We are baffled why some of these mass shooters who come from apparent, affluent, and educated in good situations do such evil and destructive acts, and we're baffled by that. Last week, we looked at Romans on the heels of the fall of Genesis, that for all have sinned, every human being fallen short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we live as people who are not under condemnation, and we live with peace with God. And conversion, conversion in Christ changes us, sets us on a new course, sets us on a new journey. Our propensity to act evil is replaced by our propensity for good. Folks, we have a new master who is Jesus. We have a new context of environment, which is the kingdom of God. And we are new persons empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now we must, on this journey, learn what it means to grow. Learn what it means to live out our identity in Jesus Christ. Today, because of God's love, we are no longer slaves. Folks, we live in a world of brutal slavery, brutal sex trafficking. Some suggest that slavery is worse now than any time in human history. I don't know how you can evaluate that, but some say it's worse. At the same time claiming to be so progressive and enlightened, and we have such the scourge of oppression. We need to reaffirm, folks, powerfully spiritually, that because of the great love of our Heavenly Father, exemplified Christ who went to the cross. We are no longer slaves, folks. In a spiritual sense of sins, we're no longer slaves. Let's take the story of Genesis for a moment, just a few steps further. We talked about the maiden, the dignity of God, the crown of creation. We talked about the fall of humanity. Next in line is the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter four. It's a very, very important story as it comes on the heels of creation and the fall. Nahum Sarna, who wrote a book, Understanding Genesis, said, as we look at this story of Cain and Abel, it's terse and sketchy and it's tantalizingly incomplete. And much of the stories of the Bible, we wish there was more understanding so we could have more context. But generally, the context is sufficient to get at the main point. You know the story well, where these two sons of Adam and Eve come to offer sacrifices to God or offerings to him. There seems to be something inherent within human beings when we acknowledge there is a God that somehow we want to offer things to him. And so they came. Cain offered from the fruit of the ground. He was a farmer, and that was totally appropriate. His brother was a keeper of the flocks and brought a lamb as an offering, expression of offering to God. 
The only thing we can get as what really why God accepted Abel's and not Cain's is that it says that Cain just brought some of the fruits of the, flo- of, of the ground and Abel brought the best of the flock. I don't think it has anything to do with the offerings that were brought, but it was the heart by which it was brought. The heart of Cain was not right in bringing this to God rather flippantly and rather insincerely. And his brother brought the best. He brought the best in his heart and his being to worship God. And you see, there's a dilemma here. Paul Borgman, who writes a great book on Genesis, says Cain cannot accept being number two. The whole storyline of Genesis in his book says that human beings cannot accept being number two. And so what we have to do is at all points, whatever it takes, we have to become number one again. And the book of Genesis really flows with that understanding. And so here we have Cain in chapter four sulking. And God comes to him in a powerful way and it says, if you do well, you will be accepted. And that's a powerful statement of God. If you just do well, you will be accepted. God desires us to come back to him and all we have to do is just do well. But if you don't do well, sin is lying in wait for you. And Walter Brueggemann says that means like a hungry lion ready to leap. It's waiting for you, ready to pounce. It is out to get you, but you have to learn to master it. And we know the story as Cain kills his brother Abel in disregard for human dignity. And God comes directly to him, and now he comes to us in human conscience. And Cain killed Abel, and God says to see if he takes personal responsibility. Cain, are you your brother's keeper? He says, absolutely not. He dismisses personal responsibility. And the answer, are we brother and sister's keeper, is yes, in our sphere of influence, absolutely. But he would not accept it. In the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis 3 through 11, we see human beings' inability to master their own lives on their own. We see murder, a family legacy of defiance against God, violence in Cain's descendants, moral failure to master our lives, which precipitates the flood in the Tower of Babel where humanity says we can bring about the kingdom by ourselves, ourselves, which is so prevalent today to our destruction. It's great and have these few examples in that beginning parts of Genesis that Enoch walked with God who chose to please him and Noah who trusted him faithfully and Abraham believed God and God credited to him his righteousness. It starts a new legacy of human beings recognize their deep need for God, their deep need to work together with God. And that example, that legacy, those legacies move into the context of the New Testament where the New Testament solution is for us as human beings who come to acknowledge Christ. We are all number one through God in God through our Savior Jesus Christ. There is no second class citizen in the kingdom of God We have our worth and identity in Christ. We are number one for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Life now and forever, eternal quality of it. And we have peace with God. We are a child of God. He calls us our friend, him, we are his friend. We are members of the family of God and the list goes on and on and on. And the question for us who have genuine faith in Christ is where do we go from here? What is essential for us to be genuinely free? This passage of scripture in the book of Romans is life-changing. 
My assignment for you this week is chapter 5 through 8. I encourage you to go back, open up your Bible, and just read carefully chapters 5 through 8. It talks about the perspective we hold and the lifestyle we live. And it makes all the difference after we have come to know Christ and what does freedom look like. It's exciting to see somebody come to faith in Christ. There's nothing more exciting than to see somebody start new life, conversion, a new life in Christ. We have the stories when Minnesota Teen Challenge comes here of people who have deep addictions and and the centerpiece of their recovery is Christ. The centerpiece with all the other aspects that are needed for people to come clean, it's the reality of Christ. And I have a friend who had the wonderful privilege, he got paid for it, is to just go to some of these uh, institutions that help people with addictions. And he went just just to bring the sixth step to them. Of the 12 steps, the sixth step, which is the gospel story. He was able to proclaim Christ, the freedom in Christ, and, and, and to free them from the chains of their addictions in their lives. It's so easy to, real, to fail to realize who we are and what Christ has done for us. Folks, listen carefully. As Paul says, we have been united. We grow together in Christ's death. We are growing together in Christ's death, united him in his resurrection. Our old self is crucified. We are no longer ruled by sin. We are no longer slaves to sin because we have resurrection power. The power that raised Christ from the dead is available to you and me to live the life of faith and it comes down to our points of decision. The perspective we hold, the lifestyle we live. In Christ we are free from the grip of sin. When we sin we defy, folks, who we are in Christ. That is not who we are. Whenever you sin, you've got to realize that's not who we are. That's not the way we live. And the more mature we become in Jesus, the more unnatural sin becomes in our lives. And like God said to Cain, if you do well, all you have to do is do well, and you'll be accepted. Our whole life needs to be captivated by the constant reminder who we are. No longer slaves to sin, but slaves to our gracious master who is Jesus. But it's not just enough to have the perspective. It's about the lifestyle we live. One cannot expect to be free from the grip of sin and experience this wonderful freedom in our relationship with Jesus. When we live lives contrary to the will and moral precepts of God, how can we believe somehow that if we live a life contrary to God's will and moral precepts that we can be free, free as we wants us to be in Christ. We must immerse ourselves in the sacred word so we know what the will is, so we know what God's desire is in our lives so we can live it out. It's not just about the perspective we have, but it's about the life we live. Just as you offer, Paul says in Romans, yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now... Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, which leads to holiness. We don't talk much in the church these days about holiness. The goal that God has for us, that we would share his holiness. That we share his very desires, his very hopes, his dreams. That we live in righteousness. That's what he moves us along in this journey, that we become more like him. Philippians, for I have told often, I told you before, and now I tell you again with tears. Many lives live as enemies of the cross. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. 
because their lives are on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, folks. As we eagerly wait the Savior, the Lord Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, transforms this lowly body of ours, and they will become as glorious. In the meantime, we seek with all of our being to live our lives that are pleasing to God. And as in the book of Revelation, and I just on my mind because I teach that difficult book, it's all about living faithful, holy lives, faithful to him as long as we live, and then we receive this most incredible reward. Folks, we find genuine freedom. But today and the week ahead, I want you just to keep rehearsing this. It's about the perspective we hold. It's about understanding who we are. And it's the lifestyle we live. The perspective we keep constantly in our minds as we live each day. And it's about the lifestyle that flows from an understanding that we live that frees us from the chains and the shackles of sin so that we can live in newness of life each day. Amen. Let's pray. Father, guide our thinking. Guide our living, Father, this day. Father, help us in a, in a most profound way this week as we face a new week, Father, as we face a new day. Father, captivate our hearts so that we understand you, understand what you desire and who we are. Father, I also have the courage and the tenacity to live a life that pleases you in all we do. Amen.